Hello and welcome to Who Books That with Harrison Greenbaum. It's episode 28. I cannot believe we are already at episode 28. It's amazing. Uh, March feels uh, so long ago, and yet it was not that long ago. Um, but this show, as always, is presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. You can join the IBM at magician.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join. You can also renew your membership. You get copies of the Linking Ring. It's a fantastic group to be a part of. They've done great jobs. Uh, giving you content every week, including this show, but also Woody Aragon was, was yesterday. Just a fantastic organization. Definitely make sure you join them. This show is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. ET. That's if you're on the East Coast and 4 p.m. if you're on the West Coast, 6 p.m. if you're on Central Time. And if you want to download this as an audio-only podcast, just go to Apple Music. It's also available uh, at other places where you would download your uh, podcast. Whobooksthat.com. It'll send you a link right to uh, where you can download this for your iPhone, your smart device. It is uh, in the top 100 performing arts podcasts in six different countries around the world, which is insane. Uh, Japan, uh, Australia, Germany, uh, United States, UK, and Canada. So thank you so much. Keep reviewing it. Um, if you give it five stars, it really helps uh, make this podcast more visible. And uh, as you can tell, I am very, very excited. Greg is in the building. Rudy is a legend. I agree. Greg is also a legend himself. Um, David Kelly is saying hello from Springfield, Pennsylvania. And Steve is he all the way from Missouri, St. Louis. Uh, I love the city museum there. It is neither about the city nor really a museum. Um, but I am so, so excited to introduce our guest tonight. A very quick story about our guest. When I was about eight or nine years old, I was at a neighbor's house. We were down the block and there was a little outdoor uh, pool party fun uh, thing. My family was there, a couple other families. And uh, the television was in the living room, which was right off of the patio. And I heard the music for Rudy Kobe's special on Fox. I caught it and its initial airing was being re-aired. I was so excited. I ran from outside into the living room, not realizing that there was a very good screen door separating the outdoors from the indoors. So not only uh, did I make it to that to see that special and demand that nobody change the channel, but I broke a neighbor's screen door. My parents had to replace it. I took that thing down. That's how excited I was to see Rudy Kobe perform. He's the coolest magician on earth. He uh, is just an incredible performer and such an original act. I am so excited uh, that I want to play music as he comes on. Make some noise. Get excited from your apartment or home. It's Rudy Kobe, everybody. Yeah. How you doing? <laughs> that song is a bop. I yeah, uh, it all the time. It's so good. Yeah, absolutely. How you doing? I'm good. I'm here in uh, in Texas. Nice. How is Texas treating you? Uh, it's hot down here. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, essentially. Same well, you, you started off in New York, and I believe you were born in the same hospital as Jeff McBride. I was. I was. Same one-room delivery room, you know? So I wow. think, uh, yeah, the mailman got around or something, but um, so bizarre. He was the only magician I really knew grew, grew, growing up, the most, you know, the only famous one. So it was pretty weird to have, um, you know, one of the, I don't know, you know, um, most original magicians in the world right in my backyard, you know? Yeah, although he was really original, but it's interesting because I think he spawned. There was a lot of people who imitated him or did things that were Jeff McBride adjacent. So yeah. it was the fact that you were so different from Jeff McBride something that helped uh, create your friendship? Yes, absolutely. Because because 
everybody just stole from him. I mean, there were you know, there were road companies of Jeff McBride in um, upstate New York from when the from the time he was fourteen or fifteen years old. But um, yeah, I knew. Oh no. <laughs> You can't talk about your childhood without no, no, <laughs> same hair. That's good. That's, That's right. Good. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was incredible. <laughs> it was incredible growing up with Jeff because um, you know, I mean, he was an inspiration just because he was so original and he was a you know, and I recognized that he became famous very quickly just because he was so original. And um, so he really raised the bar for me. And when you were starting out, like you were, you had great close-up chops. You were doing like traditional linking rings. I know at 16, I think you wrote a book called Confidential Close-Up. Yeah. How do you? Uh, that's good. Yes, I did. Oh, I did it's, some deep digging. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> deep digging. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, right until I came, right until, I mean, I worked my way through college doing comedy clubs and close-up. And right before I came up with the Four Legs Act, um, I thought I was probably going to be a close-up guy. You know, because I, I did everything, but, um, you know, I was being, um, I was working Las, Las Vegas and Atlantic City doing close-up, sort of like Michael Skinner, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> I'd be flown on private jets and stuff back and forth to Vegas. They used to have a um, an airline to Vegas called MGM Air, and it was like 14 or 15 seats. They gutted a 747. So I would do close-up on the way to, to Vegas, maybe a, a show over the weekend, and then back again. So, um, yeah, so I mean, I thought I was going to be a close up guy. And there was a quote, I don't know if this was during the close up or, or after close up, but uh, you went to Atlantic City. It says where his contract as ex was extended by Donald Trump so many times after being nominated Entertainer of the Year. Same article. He yeah. did a special show for Donald's birthday celebration. Yeah. What do you know, now would you have done a different act? <laughs> I mean, people, I mean, um, yeah, I'm not really a fan, but, um, um, but, uh, it's funny cause, um, someone, a good friend of mine from those days said, Oh, come on. He loves you. You know? Um, so it was, a, it was a different, different time that back then. Yeah. But I worked at Trump castle and they had great variety acts and some of the best acts in the world. So that was, that was actually my first kind of Vegas show. And, um, you know, <laughs> it was very bizarre. <laughs> I think of when I think of Donald Trump, I don't think he I, I, I don't think he has very good taste. However, <laughs> if he likes you, that means he, he's done something right. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he, he, it was a strange thing because I actually I mean, I, I read his book and before I even. But it was funny. The first time I met him, he was the first person I ever met. And this is 1988. Um he was the first person I ever met that used hand sanitizer. You know what I mean? He, anybody shook his hand, he would hang out in the casino because he wanted to get recognized. And as soon as anybody touched his hand, though, he had a guy there be a full on washing off the, uh, you know, the, the lower life forms. But um, I wonder how he got in sickness pandemic. And now we know the secret. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he was way ahead of the curve as far as that goes. But um yeah, I mean, I have to say, but back then he he definitely they had variety shows and you know big sort of you know big uh, yeah that was that for days. <laughs> That's my first publicity picture. It's so good, I love it. It also really sums up because you are not just another magician. Can yeah. you walk us through that that transition from like classic magic? I, I know there's a period where you just threw the cards away, right? You were just yeah. like, I'm not going to go near them. Yeah, you know what is um. I had won like my magician of the year contest, my SAM magician of the year contest, the local one, two two years in a row, and uh, and I was getting a little bored of magic because I started doing comic books, 
and magic. You know, I, I got a little bummed because all the magicians were just copying each other or, or Jeff McBride. Um, and then I saw David Bowie in, uh, in the Serious Moonlight tour. And uh, I saved up. I, I only had $110. I, you know, took a bus to New York to see him. And I bought a ticket in the front. And the guy wanted $1,000 for the ticket. And I said, I only have 100 bucks. And um, so just before uh, the show began, he he sold me the ticket for 100 bucks. And it was in the third row. So mm -hmm. I got Bowie at his peak in the third row. And... Um, and so it just occurred to me, he, he did this song where he sang to a skull, you know, he had sunglasses on singing to a skull, the song Cracked Actor. And it occurred to me that, you know, what he was doing with simple props just made it original. You know, he was, he was, he, and as we know, David Bowie took mime, he went to mime school, you know, so he's one of us. And, and it occurred to me when I was there that, um, you know, everybody in this room will change places with him, you know, even though he's this old guy. And then I, I looked back to see how old he actually was. And he was 37. You know? <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so he changed me. I went home that night, threw away all my magic, you know, and, um, you know, or gave it away to people and just, you know, I wanted to make something um, as original. You know, I, I, what I thought was I want to be able to open for him. You know, I want something I, you know, where I would not lose that audience. And it was the same thing when I saw Prince in Purple Rain, the first 10 minutes of Purple Rain. I just, you know, it, it changed my life. And I was just like, I want to be, I want to do a visual act where I could open for him and not get thro thrown off the stage. And uh, yeah, and that was my mission. But it was, it was those two, seeing those two people um, and just realizing there was a whole different level of entertainment. And one of the things you mentioned in your lecture notes, which I cannot more highly recommend, uh, How to Become a World Famous Magician by Rudy Kobe. It's amazing. Oh, thank uh, you. You mentioned the three-minute rule, because after you threw away all of that traditional stuff, that the leg act is, is a, is a three-minute act that uh, I think it doesn't matter that it's three minutes. I think one of the things that you mentioned is that people don't know how long it is. They just yeah. know that they love it. Yeah, because that's why I tell people, you know, it's like um, my, because people ask me for advice all the time. And I tell them, you don't need to learn, you know, of, of course, you need uh, to understand magic. You need to do every trick there is. You know what I mean? Study all the books and, um, you know, do kid shows, do stage shows, do comedy shows, you know, just so you really understand the art. But in the end, you don't need to do an hour long show to become famous. You know, if you have a three minute long act, you can travel the world tomorrow, you know, and, um, you know, with an original character and strong, you know, original material. But this gives you a goal, you know what I mean? You write three minutes on a piece of paper, put it on your bathroom, you know, mirror. And if you just say, I'm gonna come up with a strong three minute act, um, it changes your life. You'll never have to pay for a magic convention again because they'll fly you there, you know? I went from, um, you know, basically being in a small town, never was on a plane. I entered one magic contest and within the next two years, I'd been to 80 different countries, you know? So, um, and it, by it being three minutes, it just allows you to, you know, find that one song that inspires you, you know, come up with a, you know, a beginning, middle and end that, you know, and it's just much more approachable. It's hard, but 
um, once you have that three minutes and if it's strong and original, then you can build, you know, another three minutes and another three minutes, you know, and that's how I built my whole show three minutes at a time. Yeah. All you need is three minutes is fantastic magic advice and the world's worst pickup line, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you alluded to this a little bit, uh, cause you entered that act, that solid three minutes right. into a magic competition, but I think you were sleeping on somebody's couch in Atlanta. Can you take us back no, to that moment? Was. Mr. Dan Garrett. Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 I wanted to enter this comedy competition and I had no videotape. So I had told Dan about the act and then I kind of put it together with, um, you know, uh, I made a kitty, took his kitty litter box, covered it with a green cloth and went to a comedy club, videotaped it, sent it and I got accepted, you know? So it was, uh, you know, I went from Dan Garrett's couch to traveling around the world, you know, been very lucky. And he, I couldn't have done it without him. He's, most creative magician, one of the most, he's one of the very few magicians that um, he will fool you. Like if I, my life depended on someone being fooled, I would get Dan Garrett to do it almost above anybody else. Well, you know what? Why don't we, why don't you say that to Dan himself? Cause he's in oh. the building. Hello. How are you? <laughs> We're fine. <laughs> Good. You remember me. That's fine. <laughs> I, yes, of course. You named you named your cat after me, so I can't really. Right. <laughs> he had uh, four legs. His hair stands up, and he bites. Mm -hmm. So that was that was Rudy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Dan, I know you had to pull Carol, some. You couldn't do it without Carol either. How <laughs> you? Uh, I I know uh, back. So he's on. Rudy's on your your couch. Yeah, our guest bedroom. Uh, actually, yeah. the Desert Magic Seminar. Yeah. Uh, and there's no slots left. They've already booked the acts that they want. Dan, walk us through how you managed to get Rudy on. Okay, so we, are, we find that there's an open mic, but right before that, at the punchline, they're having a Joan Rivers lookalike contest. <laughs> Amazing. Everybody's there to see the Joan Rivers. That's the perfect, that's the perfect lineup. So we have uh, Rudy coming on, and people talking and laughing about all the Joan Rivers lookalikes. And so Rudy comes out, and everybody's talking. He's doing his act. And I'm videotaping it, and and suddenly people start looking at Rudy, start, start talking, and they're like mesmerized by this act they've never seen. And I'm videotaping it with my little uh, JVC camera, and uh, so we videotape the act to get a great reaction at the end, standing ovation. So I send it in ten minutes, and they're looking for this contest was the Whip Desert Seminar. They're looking for ten minute act, so he only had like three minutes. And they had already yeah. slots filled. But once they took a, this video, Pete Byro and these people that were booking it, they'd never seen anything like it. They wanted him, they put him in the show just so they could see the act and figure out how the heck he was doing what he was doing. They had no clue. Yeah. And so yeah. it was so Jay Marshall. Jay so Marshall was the one who they, they, they bumped someone else because of Jay yeah. Marshall saying that I should be in. It was right, right. Jay Marshall was so strong, so original, they could not refuse him. And I'd heard that the first tape, uh, the John Rivers one, you, you didn't get his feet. So you had to go to the, the clown college. Yeah, yeah you, couldn't, you couldn't see my feet, but it showed the reaction of them, you know, standing and going crazy. So then we went to the Ringling Brothers audition for clown college, like in the ring, in the center ring. Yeah. <laughs> and we taped Not it bad. there. Dan knew somebody from the, so I was auditioning for clown college, but really watching the tape. Did Steve you get in though? That's the real question. Yeah, Steve Marshall was the guy. <laughs> yeah. And but it was really funny for years and years. This is what I've heard is I didn't go to clown college, but they played my tape 
for 20 years, like to inspire people to come up with, you know, original clown acts, I guess. Right. <laughs> but, um, but it just shows you, I mean, it's like, if you have three minutes, get it on, you know, and back then, you know, Dan had a camera, but back then it wasn't so easy to get a tape, you know? I mean, it was a, you know, it was a different thing now, you know, with your phone and it's perfect quality, but. Um, That's the thing, you just pop the, you know, cassette into the tape and it records it right onto the yeah. yeah. clunker of a camera, but it worked. Yeah. And you were performing for uh, a pretty big audience of uh, a who's who at that time. This is, a, I think, a picture from that moment. Secret oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I believe Lance Burden might have been there. Well, yeah. Was there a lot of nerves going into it or were you uh, pretty much focused on the act? Look, I was scared. You know, I, I was pooping my pants because it, I had never been on a plane before. The whole reason I, you know, because I was from a small town, upstate New York, uh, I had driven to Atlanta, and um, but I had never been on a plane. I thought, you know, I thought flights cost a thousand dollars because they kind of, that's what, that's just what I thought. And Dan was like, you can get a ticket for 200 bucks. So I, I was like, oh, then I want to do it, you know? And so I bought a two, you know, the ticket. But when I went to Vegas, I didn't even have a room. I couldn't afford a room. So the first night I was in the lobby of the Frontier Hotel, you know, and then a friend of mine said, oh, just, you know, come up and sleep on our floor or whatever. So I was literally in, in the room of another contestant and they had their professional props. And I was literally um, taping my kitty, kitty litter box table, <laughs> you know. I mean, it was a you know a waiter's a waiter table and a, a kitty litter box and a little plastic chainsaw, and um, and they just they I think they felt sorry for me, you know, and uh, so yeah, when I went down there, I I mean I worshipped Genie magazine and and you know Vernon was my you know my god, and I look out there and I was opening the second half and Di Vernon, Siegfried and Roy, Lance Burton, everybody. And um, and the first half hadn't gone well, so the audience was not in a good mood, and so I, you know, I I was scared crapless. But the you know that my my music began, did the act, and my life changed from that moment. I mean, like, and I you I knew it, you know, because by the time I walked off stage, the prize was forty thousand um, dollars. It was a you know all these bookings all over the world, and. So as soon as I came off stage, it, even though it was the first night of the convention, every one of the bookers was there. So I won all the prizes within five minutes of walking off stage. <laughs> Incredible. And then, um, and then Vernon, um, I met him on the way out. And um, so he, he told everybody that I should have won the whole contest because I was the only one that got a standing ovation and was blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't even, I, you know, when he was saying this in front of me, I, I, I mean, I was just speechless. You know, he's just my hero. So um, yeah, that was, I was more scared than ever. But this shows you something about magic contests is that contest was $40,000. I didn't, not only did I, didn't I win, I didn't come in second place. I didn't come in third place. I didn't come in fourth place, right? In the top, I wasn't even in the top five. And then apparently somebody, um, I forget who, but somebody said, you can't, he was the only one that got a standing ovation. You're not going to give him anything. So they, they split the fifth. I tied for fifth, and then they gave me a couple hundred bucks. Um, but you know, I didn't care. But it just shows you 
it's not about winning the contest. It's really about being seen and making, you know, making a, um, an impression, you know? Yeah. So, but it changed my life. And Pete Byro was the one who really, um, you know, he was one of the people that really got me in that along with JMR. So it's just, just amazing how people like Dan and Pete Byro can change your life. Yeah, and Dan, what what did you see in Rudy? I mean, he was a young kid coming up from up from the Catskills in New York, coming down to Atlanta. What did you see in him? And as you saw his his rise, was that something that you expected to see? Well, I wasn't that surprised. First off, when he was sixteen, he had all these notes for his card book, and I saw those private notes. I don't know yeah. where they are now, but. They, in fact, remember, we came up with a trick together that we both totally forgot. We didn't write it down. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> I don't remember the trick. But anyway, so we got a, a booking from a guy who wanted to hire me, president of Hardy's Hamburgers, which is yeah. a, was a big hamburger chain. And uh, I guess still is. So uh, I couldn't do it. So he said, well, I'd like to double your fee. I said, no. He says, I'll triple your fee. And I said, you wouldn't want me to cancel the booking for you because somebody else had outbid you. I can't do that to my other client. But I got this guy. He's really good. All right. He's going to be a big star. He's going to be the next David Copperfield. <laughs> Rudy. And I put Rudy on this gig. And uh, Rudy, I think, made more money on that gig at that time than he'd ever yeah. made before. So uh, he had a little seed money going on there. And it was a, and they loved it. They thought he was the, the next great thing. And he yeah. proved it because he was on TV a few years later. Yeah. Special. It was funny. The thing I had forever is um, there was no um, Hardee's in on the West Coast, but it's all over the East Coast. And so he gave me a Hardee's black card <laughs> so I could go to any Hardee's anywhere in the world, you know. And, um, you know, it, that you know, kept me in food for a long time when they finally opened one out in, uh, in Vegas. But um, yeah, that was fantastic. And it's just, you know, that kind of, I also, that's, that's the period when I was doing close-up stuff. So I would, I think when I, I flew to North Carolina and they had like a Corvette waiting for me and, you know, I go out there and I would book for two hours of close-up, but I just started talking with them, which tends to happen. Like even when I, I used to do close-up, it's more about making them feel, you know, if you're funny and you're talking to them and they're being funny, that's as important as any card trick you know sometimes on the flight or in that case i think i did two tricks the whole night because they just liked me and we were talking 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 and he said oh let's do something you know and um you know i think a lot of people a lot of magicians make the mistake of thinking that the tricks are the thing you know if they're happy and they're laughing you know better than anyone harrison you know it's like if they're if they're laughing, uh, they want you to be around. And, and if they are, you know, and if you make them, well, if you genuinely make them the life of the party, you know, that was sort of my approach to close up was, you know, that's why I did very good with like high rollers is um, I learned how to make them um, the focus of it. And, you know, that they would be doing the funnier jokes and blah, 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 you know. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And Dan, I, I know you have to run, but, I just love one of the beautiful things about the magic community is that people will mentor you and, and take chances and, and uh, <laughs> oh God, I hope you're okay, Dan. Those are very expensive, Dan. You need to those. There's a kid stuff you up there. <laughs> Thanks for everything.
I'm sorry, let, wrap it up. But let me, what are you, you asking? Oh, no, I was just going to say um, that I, I just love that you were you supported Rudy uh, as, a, as a young magician. And I guess, is, is that something that you continue to do? Is that something you encourage other people to do? I really try. I really try. I, I can't believe, I mean, we met, I think it was at a Tannins, and Jeff McBride introduced, said, I want to meet my friend Rudy. And I think we met then, we hit it off. He drove to Atlanta, an agent that was had some bookings for him, she, she went on to book a cruise ship, and Rudy was stuck in Atlanta with nowhere to stay. <laughs> so we, we took care of him, and we're yeah. glad. You know, I'm glad to see anybody that I've had a, a touch with uh, helped out a little bit, be successful. I love it. Yeah. I revel in that. So Thank congratulations, you Rudy. Keep it up. Say hi to Nick, and we'll see oh, yeah. you guys later. Thank you. Dan, right. thank you so Love much. Dan everybody, make sure you go to dangarrettmagic.com. He has a lot of great stuff. And make sure you support him that way. Dan Garrett, everybody. Uh, so fun. Uh, and that takes us, so you, you've now performed. People know who you are. They know what you're offering is something that nobody else can offer. And I think very soon after you end up at the Crazy Horse in Paris. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. You know, I only had three... Um, dreams. I really, you know, like when I was, when I was coming up, I wanted to um, be on the tonight show with Johnny Carson. I missed that by two months or something. Ah. Um, yeah. I was just, just, you know, I was, you know, I, I just missed it because when he retired. Um, and so I didn't get that, but the other ones I wanted my own TV special. And the other one I wanted was um, to work the crazy horse. Cause I heard that was, I had heard that that's the best, you know, nightclub. And if you don't know what the crazy horse is, it's in Paris on the Champs-Élysées, you know, and, and, you know, it's expensive to get in. I mean, the audience are, would, you know, some nights Tina Turner would be there or Prince, or I met Grace Jones there, you know. Um, it's really an incredible audience, everybody drinking champagne, and then the best acts in the world. I mean, it's still there, but back then there would be three acts in the show. And you would have people like George Carl, who was maybe the best, you know, clown comedian in, Ever, you know, and um, people like Otto Wesley and Finn John and, and Norm Nielsen. So um, I, had, I had seen Norm Nielsen perform there, you know, very classy. It was a very small place, though, you know, like the stage. I mean, I literally couldn't stand on stage, you know, I mean, like the most beautiful girls. It's a, it's a naked girl show. It's a nude girl show. <laughs> so it's, um, but the girl, but the stage is made to make, to showcase the girls. So the girls, you think they're six feet tall, but they're actually five, two or something, you know? So, but the stage is too small for me. Um, so the well, ball, you're a tall guy, you're at least six feet, like four, right? I'm six foot four and like, you know, seven with the hair, you know? So the, um, <laughs> So the boss able to do the extending thing. Yeah, How does that yeah. work? <laughs> well, that's the thing is like, I, I mean, I, I want, I dreamt of being there, but um, so I got booked um, at FISM and the boss from the crazy horse had heard about me. So he flew to, it was Lausanne, you know, this is 1989 or something, 88. So he flew in to see me and uh, loved the act and said, I want, he, he came backstage and said, he wanted me for the crazy horse. And I had seen it because I had done some TV in Paris um, and he had seen me on television there. And, uh, but I told him, I said, I can't do, I can't do your stage. He goes, no, no, no. I'm going to redo the whole crazy horse. He got <laughs> the crazy horse after 30 or 40 years. And then said, the stage will be giant. And da, 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 da. So he did do that. But when I flew in, the stage was maybe another foot tall. I mean, it was crazy. So here I, I had my dream gig. I had my dream gig. The big opening is coming. 
but I can't do the end of my act, which is, you know, I mean, especially when you're only doing three minutes, you kind of need the ending where I stretch my body to like 12 or 13 feet tall. So we were waiting for three weeks and I just thought I was going to get fired. You know what I mean? I, I had different things I was trying to, to do. And then it, that night, like that morning, I discovered that if I, at the end of my act, if I, after I cut my legs off, if I laid down on the stage, put my legs in the audience, I could stretch my body out over the audience's heads. And then, you know, so it looked, and it looked crazy, you know? So, um, yeah. And I was there for, um, two years with, um, people like Tom Mullica and, you know, some of the greatest acts in the world, but just doing three minutes. And I think you also helped, uh, Kevin James at one point, right? Cause I think he was at the crazy horse as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I was the one who, um, I showed the boss at the crazy horse, um, Kevin's tape. I showed him Tom, Tom Mullica, believe it or not. He saw Tom, cause I thought Tom Mullica, he'll be perfect for the crazy horse. And, um, and the boss didn't like it because the tape that he had wasn't good. It was like eight minutes long. It was different music. And it was kind of, I don't know, kind of, it was, it just didn't feel the same. And I, I, I brought my the tape to my agent and she, even she wouldn't book it. And I was like, guys, trust me, <laughs> just have, if he just does the cigarettes, it'll be the best thing in the world. Cause it's such an intimate place. So they, um, he, they wouldn't do it though. So anyway, I left and they had another act come in that was a disaster. So he immediately wanted me to come back, but I was in Hawaii with my then, you know, fiance. And I was like, I can't, if I come back now, I'm dead. You know? <laughs> so, but I told him, I said, why don't you give Tom Mullica a chance? Just try it. And he was like, nah, 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 nah. And I was like, if you don't like him, then I'll come back. But you, you know, fly him in and see if it works, you know. And I told him exactly what parts to use, and 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 then he was a sensation. He was fantastic, you know. And uh, yeah, and Kevin, I I you know I always try to, you know, I I forget the term for it, but I I always try to help out people that I believe in. I love creative people, you know. I mean, Kevin James was you know my best friend. We've developed stuff together, and. Um, you know, I really, really believed in him, you know, and, and that was an example of he's great magician, very original, but until he came up with the first thing they did that really, um, stuck out was when he, um, did the things with Antonio, you know, the, you know, little person, he puts a little miniature Charlie Chaplin together and it comes to life, you know? So once he had that, um, I was on the Paul Daniels show, which is the best back then was the best, it was like the Johnny Carson show of London. And I was inventing stuff for Paul and I was going back on myself, but I booked, they asked me who I, who, who I would book if I controlled it. So I was able to put Kevin, his first TV appearance, I think, for certainly in Europe and um, my friend Les Bub and a couple other people. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't see helping other magicians as being a competition. You know, it's um, the, the more you're, especially if they're creative, um, you know, the more you can help them, you know, it, it always, it always comes back, you know? So, um, yeah. And you and Kevin also did uh vaudeville 2000, uh, which was a spread in genie. Yeah. Uh, that's Rudy Kobe and Kevin, this, this poster, by the way, by a Disney animator, I think, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yep. Um, uh, this is, uh, th this is some of the lineup. You had Abner, Les Bub, uh, aforementioned, uh, there's a Kevin James. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's you, uh, yeah. 
that that is Kevin James uh, back then. But you know what? Let's bring in Kevin James now. Hey. Amazing. Hey, Hey, Kevin. You look, you look very similar. You look very similar to, to Scott. <laughs> well, you, there are just, you know, you, you have to go through those phases. There's no uh, shortcut. <laughs> Can you guys talk a little bit about Vaville 2000? Because I know you, you spelled out sort of the ethos of it in, in the magazine, which was uh, there, there's that 1%, there's 99% of, of, as Max Maven, I think, uh, told you, I think I don't know if the quote is attributable attributable to him, but ninety nine percent of anything is crap. Um, right. so it's about finding that one percent, and the way you know it is if they say, "Oh, I hate whatever this performing arts is," but I love that artist who does that performing art. Right. Um, so, how did you guys find these each other and these people, and uh, what was this new vaudeville all about? Well, Ready? yeah. Well, I mean. It that's when I was at the crazy horse, you know, I was actually, that was when things were starting for me. And, um, and Kevin was just coming up with the, with the uh, Antonio material and all the, all the stuff, you know, it was more than that. You know I mean? Once you, like, like I said, once you come up with a, a hook, a thing, then the whole act was coming together. And, but I was, I was booked at the crazy horse like six or eight months a year, you know, it was, and it was seven days a week. It was, was, you know, I mean, I was offered a lifetime contract there by the boss to do three minutes for the rest of my life. And I just told him, I said, I'll come back here one month a year for free. I will fly myself here. I loved it so much. But doing six months in a row, seven nights a week, um, I just I just couldn't do it. Um, but anyway, so it was um, Pete Byro who um, booked the IBM convention. And like I said, Pete Byer also did the Stevens convention. He was one of the people who, you know, got me in that contest. And then he would book me at the IBM. And he loved, he loved my act, loved, loved, loved it. And then so he asked me if I would put together a show for the IBM convention. So I talked to Kevin about it. And we were, and you can't believe the original, like the, First lineup, we we were just out of our minds. We were like, <laughs> we were like calling Lance Burton. You know, we had Arturo Brichetti. We had, you know, it's like all these. You know, we, we were only calling the best of the best. But um, because I was at the Crazy Horse, I couldn't do it. So Kevin essentially he co-produced it for me with me, but he, he was really doing, you know. Most of the legwork, really. I mean, you know, we. I, I recently found all these faxes, and it's really like you can't believe the. I mean, my my, because it would cost a lot of money. Well, I didn't pay because my uh, agent would send them, but I would just have to get as much information, you know. So it looks like it looks like serial killer stuff, you know. It's so small, you know. And um, yeah, so there, there, there are potentially young magicians watching who have no idea what you're talking about when you mention the word fax machine. Oh yeah, I know. I know. They were like emails, but more physical. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that was crazy. You know? <laughs> we had to do that, and we had to send VHS. So anyway, Kevin, Kevin and I put the show together, and it was at the Fox Theater, and we actually had a budget because um, it was sold to Japanese te television before, so it was like two two hour specials just on our show. And again, we had Abner the Eccentric direct from Broadway. This is before he ever did a magic convention and it was the premiere of kevin's act it was the first time people had seen that of the with all the antonio stuff and then it was the premiere of my neon door frame act it was like people had seen the four legs but they hadn't seen that stuff and um and then our friend les bub who is the most 
surreal mime in the world. And then, um, so we did it, it was fantastic. And then for 30 years, I wanted to sort of get the band together, you know? And, <laughs> um, and Kevin is obviously, cause he works in the illusionist, too busy to ever do it. And my friend Les Bob had no interest in it. He kind of, he became a TV star in London with his own, you know, kid series. But, um, you know, in the last two years, it, well, last year it happened finally, 29th anniversary, we did it at the IBM. And, um, and it was fantastic. We did it the- um, Is it Vaudeville 2000 or was it Vaudeville 3000? Vaudeville 3000. Because <laughs> the funny thing is I, 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 was, I remember trying to find the article and I kept looking in the years 2000 and I realized that you put that on in 1990, 10 years before it was, so it was very future, it was futuristic at the time. It was futuristic, you know, it was, it was, it was crazy. And, um, and Kevin, can you take us back to that time? I mean, like now, obviously a lot of the tricks that you do are just iconic. The rose, the, all of the stuff with, uh, Antonio, um, your, your, your song in half, it's all seems very iconic now, but back then as, as you're exposing it to people for the first time, what, what was that process like? Well, about vaudeville 2000 the uh the interesting thing was that you know rudy one time in a conversation was saying that you know it's funny vaudeville people would travel from you know town to town to do these you know vaudeville houses and he says we're like jumping from city to city you know city city but on airplanes you know we're going from paris to la to monaco to you know all these different places so it's kind of like uh, this is how the new vaudeville is. And, and at that time, new vaudeville was starting to come into vogue. And, and um, you know, it's uh, it was just kind of a, a – well, if you read the article, uh, it's all in there. Yeah. And what's funny is, is um, it was exhilarating because it's like you don't – you know, we do TV shows. Like you'll go and do a variety show with other acts or, you know, or a magic convention or something. But you're with other magicians generally. You know, so when we did this, it was, it was just unbelievable. You know, it was, it was a night of theater. It wasn't a, a, a magic show. Yeah. No MCs, you know, it was just straight through, you know, and then we, um, and then we added, did we add like Jay Marshall because he was, he was there. He was actually in vaudeville. So <laughs> right. <laughs> right. He was our token vaudevillian. Yeah. <laughs> one of the quotes in the article, cause you were talking about how the people in that, in the new vaudeville in that 1%, uh, obviously are original and create their own stuff. And you said there are two roads. One is a fairly easy one requiring no work or creativity whatsoever and always leads to a pitiful situation. The other road requires dedication, hard work, time, and actually having to think for yourself and it's your choice. Uh, and I can't think of two people that, that symbolize actually, you know, original creation um, and, and uniqueness more than you guys. Um, do you, do you guys have similarities in the methods that you use to come up with your stuff? I know you alluded to all of Rudy's notebooks, um, but when you when you've worked together on stuff, have you noticed more similarities and differences, or are they completely different creative styles? Well, Rudy's a very fun uh, brainstorm partner. Um, yeah. We uh, we did a lot of uh, early shows together. We uh, did uh, After World Houston. Got to spend a few weeks together there, and uh, and then he took me to a job. Uh, I was his assistant. Um, oh, that's right. In uh, in Evian, France, at a casino there, where we uh, got to work on a lot of new material uh, for yeah, his really? app. Yeah, he. It was the first time I did the neon door frame, the very first time. And 
Kevin was the hidden assistant in there for real. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just like a panda. <laughs> so I mean right down though, so it didn't peek out over the sides of the frame. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, you know, it's uh it's fun to have a, a super creative person that you trust that you can uh, just go crazy with ideas. Yeah. No, it's in, and it's like a lot of the same things too. I think, um, you know, just really bizarre imagery, and uh, he's from a cartoon world. I'm more of a sideshow world, but they kind of overlap. So it's it's a lot of fun. I, th I think we all create it in our own different way, but uh, but Rudy's a, an amazing brainstorm partner for sure. I think we have a George Carl quote because he said uh, that it has to come from the heart, and I think you guys. It's it, the case but for both of you. It does come from your heart, but then that heart might get chainsawed or ripped out and then <laughs> on stage. Yeah, definitely. No, it's, and it's amazing is um, Kevin's a great inspiration because, um, and again, he's, he's exactly right about this. It's like, we, we have had our hearts chainsawed when people copy it and then do it badly or, you know, or if you tell a friend about something, then you think they're your friend and then you find out them doing it years and years, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's amazing how it, um, this show business, I guess just life in general, but it really reveals people's character. You know what I mean? It's like when people get that chance to be successful or be famous, it's amazing how people will sell out or just, you know, <laughs> or just sell out their friends is what I mean, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, and the great thing is, you know, Kevin told me, you know, we would share, you know, cause we knew neither one of us have any interest in copying the other. Um, so, you know, Kevin told me about stuff that didn't come to be realized for, you know, decades, you know? And, um, and then I finally, you know, sort of hear about him in Korea doing this, thing that he, you know, had talked about, you know, and I've seen in his notebooks, um, you know, but, but Kevin always has incredible stuff that's just on the edge of not being able to be, you know, to, 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 be, to actually happen, you know, not necessarily because of technology or, you know, but you're always waiting, you have all these different ideas, disparate ideas, and then it all comes together in a point, you know, but sometimes it takes just, 20 years sometimes, you know, it's amazing. For me. Yeah, and, and then Rudy was able to, to uh, kind of push uh, his agent into finally getting me into the crazy horse. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a struggle. But, yeah. Well, you know, it's really weird. It's something persistent. Back then it was, it was hard to get a videotape. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the Dan Garrett thing. I mean, that tape still was crappy. It wouldn't get me any, it got me into the, um, the magic contest, but I still had no videotape. And then I got booked in Japan um, and they asked me to go on a TV show while I was there doing a magic convention. And then I finally got my three minute tape, you know, but you know, cause I mean, if you have a, you can have a great act, but when you have a crappy dark, you know, and back then, like Dan was saying, it was just VHS, you know, it was a handy cam kind of thing. Nobody could afford, you know, broadcast, you know, I mean, like, like an iPhone is now. So, um, you know, so people, it, you know, like I had a relationship with my agent in Paris and she was the best agent in the world. So it, it, and it, the whole world changed when she retired for all of us, she was the best, you know? And um, 
so she would trust me. You know what I mean? I would say, trust me. I know the tape is shitty or, you know, and then, um, but, um, and then I had a relationship with um, Patrick Sebastian. I had done his show. I did his first television show. This is the Cabaret du Monde, uh, the famous French cabaret, the cabaret of the world or whatever it's called. But I had done his first show called Sebastian Seifu. I was his very first act. And each time he did a new version of his show, I was, he would always bring me back. I was his, his lucky charm, you know? Mm -hmm. So the first time I ever did like Puppet Boy, I, I, would, I would come up with three minutes at a time and then I would go and do it there. And, and basically doing his show would pay for the thing to get made. Um, but he eventually trusted me also, you know what I mean? Where I would, cause the agent would show him the video and he would, ah, and I'd be like, and then, you know, I mean, then he, he knew I wouldn't recommend very many people, you know, but when I really believed in somebody, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's just fun to see. It's, it's a, it's a great thing to see creative people succeed. You know what I mean? And, um, and it's so much easier now with YouTube <laughs> to <laughs> let people see you, you know? And Kevin, do you have any fun uh, road stories with Rudy? Cause I know you guys have been all around the world with each other. Oh my. Uh, or are these stories that cannot be said on the internet? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. I know one. <laughs> Um, yes. <laughs> Fair. I mean, we, yeah, we, we've had some crazy stories, but basically we were, you know, it, what was great about it, I mean, like it was, we would do shows and, or do like, you know, I, and again, I, I, I bunked on Kevin's couch for uh, you know, a long time, you know, it was just any excuse to be next to somebody creative. You know, I've been very lucky in, in that way, you know, um, uh, but, you know, I mean, for example, I was in at Kevin's house and we were in Anaheim and I had, you know, we were talking about me with the, with wearing Vans, my sneakers. And then um, he said, you know, Vans is right down the road. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, we should you should call them. And back then I said, yeah, I'm going to call them. <laughs> and I said, um, you know, my name is Rudy Kobe. You guys should know about me because I I use your sneakers on television all over the world, blah, 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 blah. They connected me to Steve Van Doren, who was the son of the creator of Vans. And um, he said, yeah, come on in. And I was like, well, I can't come in now. I'm just wearing shorts. You know, we just came from the beach or whatever. And he goes, I'm wearing shorts too. Just come yeah. in. And, and since then, you know, that was 30 years ago or whatever, I became, I was sponsored by Vans, you know, I mean, for 30, I mean, and he, you know, came to my wedding when I was married. And I mean, he's like a close friend even now. I mean, anywhere I go in the world, if I'm in China or I'm in Vienna or Italy, I don't have to bring the extra shoes it makes. He'll call whatever van store there is. And then they're, you know, cause he, they all know him, you know, he's still the, um, they sold the company for hundreds of millions of dollars, but he's still the vice president in charge of marketing, you know, and created the warp tour. And he's like the nicest guy in the world, but that ne never would have happened unless I was with Kevin and we're just, you know, he just said, just call him, you know? And, and um, cause that's some, sometimes that's how it happens. And did you wear Vans at your wedding? I did. I did. <laughs> I did. That's amazing. Yeah. That's probably what that, that probably nixed the deal, but uh, no, it was uh yeah, everything else was traditional except for that. I had to, you know, <laughs> I had to wear the bands, you know. <laughs> That's amazing. And Kevin, uh, you can, by the way, uh, check out his stuff at kjmagic.com. Uh, there's something you're working on with Gaiden Bloom. Did that come out? 
Oh yeah. It came out a few years ago. In fact, it, it was just a, a, a big, beautiful book called full bloom. And uh, if you need uh, stage ideas, close-up ideas, mentalism ideas, that's the place to start looking. Oh, yeah. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Any part of before we let you go? Uh, no, uh, I'm just uh, tickled pink. He asked me to, to share a little time with Ruby. Oh, it's honestly my pleasure. One of the reasons when I, when I first did illusionist and they said, Kevin James was on the bill, I could not have been more excited and they say, don't meet your heroes, but, uh, you, you lived up to it and more. So I, I can't thank you enough for, for always being so kind. And, uh, it's so good to see you, man. Well, Rudy's my hero too. So oh. and you are now Harrison. Kevin James, everybody. Hey. And we alluded to this a little bit because you started talking about building out your act from you had the three minutes. Um, you Puppet Boy comes in a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, eventually you get to a point where uh you're doing a special for Fox. Right. I know I was one of the kids who was heavily influenced by it. Um, it rocked my world, it, it rocked my my vans off. <laughs> um yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the process of that and what it was like to be in the middle of it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, that was my dream to do a, you know, to do, um, you know, my own television special. And I had gotten the opportunity a couple of times. So I could, cause I was more well known in, in um, Europe. So I had done a TV special in Monte Carlo and then I did my own, I did a pilot for the BBC in London. Um, and, um, and, and that was nominated for a big television award and all that, but it was not what I wanted, you know, because I had a producer who was trying to make it more magic rather than a living cartoon. So then I um, I had the opportunity. Um, I went to a meeting with, um, it just shows you, it's like the, um, there was a show called The World's Greatest Magic. And I was the only magician who wasn't on it because of various different reasons. They, they said I was going to do some one thing and then they kind of reneged, so I didn't do it. And everybody thought I was making the biggest mistake ever, you know, because I wasn't on the show with everybody else. Um, Cause it became this huge hit, like, you know, they would be every whatever the night before Thanksgiving or whatever. And, um, but um, I was featured in details magazine. Um, they did an article I mean, and you can't believe like it was, it was the most outrageous article that's ever been written about me. I was a big fan of details and, um, and David LaChapelle, one of the greatest photographers in history, you know, crazy, crazy um, photographer. And so I said, if you get him, I'll do this. So it was this crazy page spread. And the photos he took, they did one photo shoot that was rejected. It was $40,000, but they thought it was. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I went back and he took photos of me, not even wearing my lab outfit. We were because I had take I had taken him to um, Vegas, so we did a parody of that. So I was wearing glittery stuff with a cape and a girl with her boobs out, and you know, and then we I would be on Forty Second Street doing with the puppet, but looking like and my my um, manager at the time was like, "You're going to destroy your career because you're not selling Ruby Kobe." You know, I literally was on a late like a lace weird shirt and a cape and. <laughs> but I was just like, it's, you know, when this guy took photos of Jim Carrey or, you know, other stars, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, they didn't say, I have to be dressed like my movie character. They let him do whatever he was. That's, he was a genius and he was not famous yet. So anyway, um, and my manager was so mad, but when Fox uh, television, and back then there were only four channels, the kids don't right. really, you know, <laughs> 
So David Copperfield had CBS, Doug Henning had NBC, and then ABC, I forget, maybe it was Siegfried and Roy at some point. But um, so Fox wanted to um, have a magician. And he, the um, you know, president of Fox was at the hair salon in Beverly Hills or whatever, and sees this photo of me with this girl's boobs on my head and with a chainsaw and puppet in 42nd Street among homeless people. And, and, and then in the first paragraph, um, I, I can't even say the word or even acknowledge what the words are, but, but, but it was an outrageous interview showing like kind of the you know, bad boy side of me. So immediately he called and I had met with Dick Clark. Dick Clark had come to my show when I, I did a, a, a college in Burbank. And, um, and so I got Dick Clark to come. I was signing a deal with him. And then Fox called me and I said, okay, Dick Clark, come in with me. And we went in and in one meeting, he just said, the reason I called you is that article was crazy. You're exactly what we want. And also because you're the only magician that's not on that other show every year. You know? <laughs> so it ended up being a good thing. Um, and, you know, and it was funny because he, my manager. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the, it was the the uh, television, um, the, the president of the network said, um, oh man, your show's so cool. We should just call you Rudy Kobe, coolest magician on planet earth. And when he said that, I was like, I thought that was the worst stupid shit. I mean, I hate it, I can't tell you. But then he said, we should call Rudy Kobe, coolest magician on earth. And my manager said, that's great. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, you know what? I have a slot open in three weeks. Blah, blah, blah. So it was like, oh, he just, you know, <laughs> he just named the show and gave me and it was back then million dollar, you know, contract. But I didn't have the whole thing done in three weeks. And that was actually a benefit because I was able to do exactly what I wanted because I had Dick Clark and he's, you know, he's an icon, of, you know, you know, he would do the American Music Awards and the Grammys and all this stuff. I was able to green light. And then three weeks later, you were shooting the thing on stage. So, so everything got built written in three. That's I hadn't, that is insane. The set, the set the script, everything. But the here's, here's the lesson from that is I had dreamed so many times of what I would want a show to be that I knew what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? And I also thought big. So it's like, they said, okay, so we got to find a director. Who would you want to direct? And I told them, I said, I want the guy that directed the American Music Awards. And they said, well, that's Jeff Margolis. He's not going to do it. He just directed the Academy Awards. He directed the Oscar telecast and just won, you know, the Emmy or whatever. He had just directed two years in a row. And I said, well, can we, because they can get anybody into a meeting. I said, can you bring them in and just, can we just get a meeting? And, um, you know, I, and they said, okay, but there's no way. And he came in, saw the video, you know, the 20 minute promo tape. And he was like, and I knew what I wanted. So he just looked at it like, oh, this is, this is clever. And um, he seems to know what he wants. So, um, you know, it basically, there's the same seven cameramen that do all the biggest shows in the world from, you know, the Grammys to the MTV awards and all this stuff. So it's those same, same seven cameramen. And then you, certain directors that, you know, there's a list of four or five that are at that level. So he direct, he directed it. And because we had so little time, um, they really, you know, I storyboarded it. And with my friend, Bob self, he wrote the show with me and, um, 
And they said, who, well, we've got to make a set. Do you know what you want for a set? And I said, what about the guy that did the MTV awards? <laughs> and, like, and they were like, there's no way, you know, because the MTV awards used to have incredible sets. So like the one year was like highway. It was a crazy highway that was spanned the whole theater. But, you know, it was like this space highway in one year. I can't even describe it. It was so creative, like out of a comic book. And I said, and it was Bruce Ryan, who, you know, the most Emmy winning, you know, and I said, well, can we get this guy to come in? You know? And they were like, well, he's not going to. And, but he came in and he loved the tape. And then he said, well, what do you want the set to look like? And I, I, I said, I want it to look like, I want it to look like, you know, I showed him my comic book. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's exactly what I did. I said, and, um, and I said, right. That's what I want it to look like, you know? <laughs> so if you look at it, that's exactly what my set looked like. You know, I wanted to look like Batman, you know, the original Batman comics where he has a giant penny in his, um, you know, and a dinosaur. And um, so he, he saw that. And again, there was only a couple weeks he basically was just making that into three dimensions and, you know, he got his minimum money, which is still tens of thousands of dollars. Right. But, um, I mean, you know, if there's a minimum for people like that, they're still going to make their 30 or 40, 000, whatever it is. But he basically, um, even though we had a million dollar budget, you know, Dick Clark, you know, famously when he died, he had a billion dollars in the bank because he didn't spend it on his shows necessarily, you know? So our set looked like it was, you know, a million dollar set, but essentially it was made from other pieces. You know, he got the idea of what I wanted and we rented a lot of it and, you know, but it was, um, you know, if, if you have somebody creative, you don't necessarily need, I mean, it costs a, a lot, but nothing compared to what it looked like, you know? And, and then because I had made the mistake of listening too much to the producers, in London where it really didn't work out the way I wanted it to. It was still great. And we got nominated. But this one, I was like, no, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I learned my lessons and I, so I knew exactly how I wanted to shoot it. I had studied Copperfield. This is a secret, but I've admitted this to Copperfield is um, the way I learned how to make television magic look good. I took all the Copperfield specials I watched them. And I still have the notebook. It's in, uh, I'll, I'll send you a photocopy and send it. <laughs> I love it. But it's single space. Every minute, um, every minute, um, documented every trick and why his specials looked better than any other magic special. You know. So I learned by writing down every single from every single special. It was like it was serial killer stuff. You know. But <laughs> after a while. I discovered how he did things. You know what I mean? Like he shot things like a movie, even though it felt live, there was no way to do the shots that he was doing, you know? So it was a, it was a combination of shooting everything live, but also shooting it as if it was a comic book or like a movie, you know? And, um, and I'm, you know, it's funny. I only had three weeks, but I'm still, I'm very picky, but I'm almost hundred percent happy with that special, the way it turned out, you know, it was exactly what I wanted. And I think also it's a testament to how, because I know you mentioned this in the lecture that uh, the two things you need is character and material. You need a strong character and original material. Right. But that character comes first because without it, you can't even choose what material you're going to do. Right. And your character was so strong, it literally had its own life in a comic book. Yeah. And so it only took three weeks to put together what I think, I mean, you can see in the comments, uh, my buddy Steve saying, I remember that special like it was yesterday. Love that special. People quoting from that special. Something that sticks in people's imagination for... Mm -hmm. 
20, 30 years because it was in your imagination for at least 20 or 30 years before it went on screen. Yeah, and the thing is uh, that um, the other the other person that I really studied to the point where you know it I um, it, you know I should have had a restraining order was Pee Wee Herman, right? His <laughs> HBO special. I mean, I love everything he's ever done. I mean, his movie Big Adventure is one of my favorite. Yeah, you know, it's the perfect movie. But his first HBO special, n- not the series, the first HBO special was a nighttime show. It was for adults. You know what I mean? It was the adult version of PB Herman. You could see it on YouTube somewhere, I'm sure. It was PB at the at the Roxy Theater. And I always wanted to have a show that was had characters, like a comic book. Well, you know, it's it's a very difficult thing to uh, mix magic along with you know characters. But the where I cracked the code was watching that PB show. Because I was like, these characters are, these different weird characters are coming in just long enough that you don't get sick of them and then they go away. You know what I mean? Like what, you know, so what I did was I transcribed his, just like the Copperfield thing, but I actually wrote it every word, stage directions, you know, by hand. Then I did it in, I typed it in screenplay form, but I ended just, just by writing it in, writing his show in my hands it taught me a certain rhythm, you know? And um, like, and so then I wrote my show. So it's so inspired by him, you know? And I think it's important, you know, people, people don't like giving credit. Like, you know, I think, you know, it's, I, I find in, in general in life, they don't like giving credit to someone else because maybe that looks like you're not as original as they thought, you know? But for me, it's like you celebrate your heroes. If somebody inspires you and you, tell people about it and, and, and give them credit. It's amazing what happens. I mean, cause I've, you know, you know, you saying that story, you know, is you telling a story about running through the door is why I'm here talking to you now, or, you know, I mean, other people that have, you know, it, people, especially now you wouldn't, you would, people are going to find out about you. If you're saying nice things about someone, it's amazing how it does get back to them. And so Paul Rubens, PB Herman, came to our show at the Magic Castle. Um, you know, Erica Larson's very close with him. And he loved our show so much. He came back and he's talking to me afterwards. And I couldn't, I mean, I mean, I, my brain was melted. I couldn't <laughs> you know, how much he loved our show. And I was so, I couldn't even, I was just like, because I, I couldn't tell him what he meant, you know. And I sort of said, well, obviously, you know, you know. So anyway, he he goes, I'd love to see it again. And I said, well, tomorrow night I'm going to be at Brookledge. You know, it was Erica's thing. It was for, um, I think it was for Randy Pickford's um, um, party. He does a uh, E3 convention, a big video game company. So he does a party every year. And I said, oh, I'm going to do Brookledge tomorrow night. And he goes, oh, I'll come and see you. And I was like, oh, you know, oh, okay. I'm only doing three minutes, though, you know, because I just done my whole show. And he goes, I don't care. I'm going to, I'll come. I was like, wow. Okay, cool. So I, I get there the next day and I'm carrying my, my table in and my chainsaw and stuff. And he drives up and he parks. He goes, Hey Rudy, how you doing, man? Da, 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 da. And then um, he goes, let me help you. And he's helping me carry my table and my chain. So I just had to, I just stopped. And I said, look, wait, 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 wait. I just have to, <laughs> I have to you know, just so I have to let you know what you mean to me, you know? And I told him, I said, I learned how to write that script. 
And I told him about writing it longhand, then in type. And he was just like, whoa, that's heavy. And I said, yeah, but it's important, you know, now that I'm a stalker rather than later, you know. And um, and he took it the right way and, you know, and, and we become friends, you know. So it's just um, I've been really lucky in that in that respect to actually meet most of my heroes. And 99 percent of them are incredible. And I, I think it's also important, too, because you, you mentioned this in your notes about and also in your genie article about um, you can be inspired by things, but the key is to not necessarily be inspired by other magicians because that leads to magician inbreeding where everyone is sort of cloning each other. If you have, if you're like in your act where you're inspired by cartoons and by the exorcist and Bowie, that ends up leading to a really unique pastiche. Um, But if you're inspired, if all your inspirations are just Rudy Kobe and you're doing four legs, that's probably not the way to be inspired. Yeah. Um, No, it's, you know, I give, all the credit in the world, like to Pee Wee Herman and to Adam West, like the original Batman series. Um, again, when I met him, I almost couldn't talk because he meant so much to me. And what I love about the original Batman is that he is a great actor. He got typecast, you know, later in Family Guy and stuff. They, he was celebrated, you know, years later. But because what I loved about his character in the original Batman, it was so goofy, but he was straight. You know, he was, that's right, Robin, you know, <laughs> you know, let's go get Catwoman, you know. So my character is absolutely, you know, so inspired by that because Lab Band is very serious and it's a science experiment. And, you know, even though all this crazy stuff is happening, he takes it very serious, you know. So, um, you know, I mean, but yeah, and it's okay to be inspired by magicians to a certain extent. It's like, I wouldn't be who I am without people like... Um, Harry Anderson, you know, Harry Anderson inspired me so much um, that again, when, you know, when you, you meet your heroes later, um, but the thing is, I didn't put on a, you know, a suit and a hat like Harry Anderson did the needle through arm, you know? Um, so you can be inspired by your heroes and just say, okay, I love this. Why do I love this? You know? So Harry doing the needle through arm and being this character, um, probably inspired me to do the nail where I'm pounding a nail spike in my face and making it something, you know, um, more comedic than, than, um, you know, gruesome. But um, so it's okay to be inspired. Everybody's inspired by somebody, you know, when you start off, especially, I mean, I used to be really bothered when I would see somebody doing my act. um, And I still am if it's someone doing it on television and then, but my act has been stolen so many times. But when it's somebody that's young, if I see a kid on YouTube doing the four, it doesn't really bother me. You know, it, 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 it's kind of, you know, I, at this point, you know, maybe it's just age, but I'm kind of pleased that I was able to inspire them. And, and they're either going to, you know, take that and as a jumping off point or we're not, you know, the thing is you can be inspired. And even in the beginning, you are a little bit of a copycat, you know I mean? Cause you have to, you know, but the way to do it is to, you know, you're allowed to um, read Stars of Magic and do the, you know, cutting the aces with the exact matter because you paid for it, you know. Um, so, I mean, but that teaches you how to write. You know, nobody could start from nothing. Right. But eventually, if you want to get a Fox special, you have to create your own material. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we have a, another surprise guest who's been patiently waiting. Oh. Uh, but one more question before we get to him. Sure. Um, uh, you, you did take a hiatus. You, you did your specials. Uh, that's like the dream of, of every magician, two incredible specials. And then there was like a, a sort of a gap uh, for, for more than 10 years. Yeah. What, what was happening in that time? Was that like a creative thing? Um, uh, what, 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 what was the reason? Yeah. Behind that? 
Um, you know what? It's um, it's one of those things. It's like when you, it's a weird thing when you get everything you ever wanted. <laughs> sure. Right. I, I, mean, I don't know what that's like, but I imagine. Well, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, I, I got what I wanted, you know I mean? And so what happened was I was working on, um, I was going to do a Saturday morning series of, um, uh, with my character. You know, I had a big deal that, and then what happened is the, the company tried to steal the rights of my character kind of from me. Right. So it turned into this lawyer thing and it was like, they, they wanted to own the name Rudy Kobe. And I was like, that's me. (laughs) It was really weird. And what they, what they were saying is, well, you know, like the Simpsons um, isn't owned by um, Matt Groening and, you know, and, and, and I, but I was like, yeah, but Jerry Seinfeld owns Jerry Seinfeld. What are you, you know, what I mean? it, it was just really weird. So it was, it was a weird thing where I was getting, and it probably wouldn't have gone bad, but it was like, they could have replaced me with somebody else. They could have had somebody playing me. So it was things like that. And then also I went through a, a period with um, some business stuff where there was embezzling going on and, and then there was a, you know, magician stealing my show. So I got kind of sick of magic, you know, the offers I, I got, cause I was, I was in this contract for a TV show, but I didn't want to do it with these people anymore, but I was under, so I couldn't do another TV show because of that, because of contracts and right. stuff. But then what brought you back? Because obviously you came back, you came back yeah. in a good way. What was the thing that uh, got you back in? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it was, oh, and, I, and back then I was offered Vegas, you know what I mean? But I didn't want to. I was offered, a, you know, I mean, it was great. Lance Burton took 20 years and made, it's fantastic. People want to do that. But at back then, I just didn't, and Vegas was a different thing back then. There was no Blue Man Group and there was no Penn and Teller. It was really just you know, splash or like the Lido, you know, and I, I done those kind of shows. So I, I wanted to travel more. So, you know, I never, I didn't give away magic. I stopped doing magic. I would still do occasional TV shows um, to pay the rent, but um, uh, I just didn't mix with the magic world kind of thing. And then I worked with Marilyn Manson. I met him and for almost 10 years, I, um, we were just best buddies and, and I designed his show with him. You know what I mean? And so it was, I was, you know, and Alice Cooper was the person I first saw on TV that kind of inspired me to do magic, seeing him cut off his head. Um, so Marilyn Manson was like the modern version of that. And back now so much, it's just, a, it's basically a rock show, but then he was doing crazy visuals, you know? So I was able to design the show with him and have my robot girls in the show, or, you know, uh, there'd be headless characters. And I was in the show with him too. And then what happened was he um, he became my biggest fan. He when I first met him and I designed his shows and I was on the road, he had never seen my specials. I wouldn't show it to people. So finally, um, when YouTube was getting more popular and all that, his um, fiance at the time, Evan Rachel Wood, who's a star of Westworld, she found it. And that plays a robot lady. She yeah, she's a robot lady. But in in the Manson show, I had a twenty thousand dollar head made of her. She was a robot in the show, and he would take her head off, and it was you know. So I was way ahead of the curve, you know. So she um, she really, really, really. They both loved my show, and then they would they would sing Puppet Boy to me, you know. what I mean, so they're they're being so nice, and they're uh, them being fans. And then I had another friend um, who 
I said, yeah, you know, maybe I'll start doing it. He made a full website for me, this beautiful, unbelievable, you know, because people really were, they really want to be a bit back. And then once I sort of stepped back in, I loved it, you know, and, and, um, and cause I was able to come back and look at it from a fresh perspective and, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, imagine. I want to bring this full circle. Um, by the way, if you're watching, uh, make sure you join the IBM edition.org slash join dash the dash IBM slash join there. Uh, they've been amazing to present, um, all 28 episodes so far. So make sure you uh, support them. We uh, we talked to Dan Garrett at the beginning, uh, whose, whose couch you crashed on. We spoke to Kevin James, whose couch <laughs> you crashed on. And to continue this trend, I think you're currently crashing on somebody's couch. That's right. By Randy Pitchford. Randy. How you doing? It's Randy Pitchford. Wow. Magic. He also owns GeneMagazine.com. I proudly uh, have the record for most times using penis in that magazine. Uh, the previous record was zero. <laughs> Randy, how you doing? I'm doing good, Harrison. How you doing? <laughs> uh, when was the first time you saw Rudy perform? Oh, man. Um, I, I actually don't remember, but it was like late 80s, early 90s in L.A., you and, saw you saw the full show. You saw the two hours. Yeah, that wasn't the first time I saw you. Though. Oh no, okay. Yeah, but yeah, when I when I saw you do that full show in, in Van Nuys, I mean, I was already I was already into your shit before <laughs> that. When I saw that show in Van Nuys, like that was awesome because that was like that was like how how long was that? How much time did you guys do? Yeah, it was fully. It was two hours. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was a lot, and it was amazing. And I left, and it was a long show, and I left feeling like, man, that was that sucks. I was so short. I wish this was another three hours. <laughs> You know, it was like, it was, it was really, really fun. Um, but yeah, that, that was sometime in that before then I'd saw, I don't remember what I saw you do something uh, a couple times and that just, it got in there, man. <laughs> and we didn't like it. That, this was pre-internet. You know, we, if you're going to see a magician, you probably saw them live. Yeah. Uh, unless it's like, you know, Henning or Copperfield or somebody you're, you're seeing on TV. <laughs> and also you do uh like you obviously develop big video games. Those have very big characters. Did you see a sort of uh, connection between Rudy's larger than life sort of comic book characters and the characters that you develop in, in the games? Oh, there's something happening in the background. It looks like Adam is, is, is busy working on something. What are you doing, what are you doing there, Nick? No, I'm just looking, looking for gigs. <laughs> He's trying to find, uh, unless you have a time machine to 2021 there might not be any <laughs> everybody nick to Nick by the way i have a, a fantastic picture i won't say who sent it but he might be on the screen and he's not me or rudy uh, a picture of nick and, uh, and rudy together well, what's happening here randy you know, a lot of people, Nick's, or Rudy's been talking about, you know, getting to know some people closer. I've had the good fortune of being, well, it's been six months now since we've been in quarantine together. And <laughs> Nick, Nick DeFlotz joined us, and this is in our game room, and we got bored one night, and my wife, Christy's like, hey, uh, let's uh, let's let's subscribe to the Broadway thing, Broadway <laughs> HD on Amazon Prime, and we watched Cats, and uh, you can see Nick is feeling very jellical there, and Rudy... <laughs> Came in as blind Santa. <laughs> I, I don't remember that role in the cats surviving COVID with Rudy Kobe. I have another picture as well. This looks also related. Well, this is when Hamilton finally came out on Disney Plus, and so you know we had to get into it. So there's Rudy and Nick. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, this is what's going on at a random night at, at the Pitchford House. 
<laughs> well, you guys are keeping yourself occupied, clearly, yeah. so that's good. I think this is a more recent photo. Yeah, yeah. last night. That was last night. First time we've been out in like six months. Yeah. And we went and saw Tenet, and uh, I had some I had some people help me where we were able to get the theater to ourselves. And I, it, I think it opens tomorrow, but and some people are showing it in previews. Yeah. But we were able to get a local theater to give us the place, so we didn't have to worry about catching anything. And and we and we uh, we, we got a screening of the of the movie, and it was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. And you yeah. also have your own theater, uh, the Peacock yeah. Theater. Uh, I Rudy has performed there a bunch. Um, what what is the ethos of the Peacock Theater, and how does Rudy fit into that? The, the I've created the Peacock Theater so that Rudy can have a place to perform for, yeah. for <laughs> audiences. That Rudy is are the worthy. I, I wanted I wanted a worthy. You know, there's nothing better when you're a performer to be in a place working, entertaining people with an audience that gets it and and is is like where you're giving it to them and they're giving it back. And and we created the Peacock to create that that relationship. And, uh, and, you know, and I'm not kidding, like, like when, when, when I'm building it, there's a handful of people like friends and people I consider family that, that also get it. And, and we know we need spaces like this. And, uh, you know, I think it was when, uh, Rudy was talking about it earlier when, uh, when, when, when he came and, and performed for the audience at Brookledge, uh, at, you know, the Larson's, uh, place and, you know, Erica has been so awesome and so kind to, to let, let me use Brookledge every once in a while to, to show, uh, video game people what live entertainment actually is like. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and Rudy, did, Rudy did one of the, he did a set during one of the, one of the shows at Brookledge. And it's in that spirit that, that we created the Peacock. I mean, Brooklyn's an inspiration. Um, um, there's so many, so many people and Rudy's a big part of that. And, and, and when Rudy found it, I, I could see it. I could feel it. Like he knew I built it for him. <laughs> and he's not the only one. Like I built it. I, I, you should come Harrison. I built it for yeah. you. You Check it out. A hundred percent. And I, I imagine the, the ceilings are slightly taller than the crazy horse. 16 feet, baby. <laughs> Rudy can go full height and we have some room to spare. That's right. No, we did. We, we I like jugglers too. So we got to yeah. have, them, you know, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 16 feet of spirits on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a dream. It's a dream situation. That theater is the, you know, it's, it's, it, it's similar to the magic castle, like the best audience in the world. And because, you know, Randy is, you know, such a lover of variety and it's a curated audience invite invitation only. You can't buy a ticket, you know? So it's like, it's really, you know, the best audience in the world. There's only three places in the world, the castle, Brookledge and the Peacock that even compare as far as really great audiences. And, uh, and, and Randy is, you know, Randy did the, you know, Penn and Teller um, um, VR game. Right. So we, and he's done a lot of stuff with Penn and Teller, but Penn and Teller were one of the first performers there. They've been here several times. And Penn, Penn actually came before we opened. The first time yeah. he got to see the theater, we had not even put on a live show yet. He and uh, Emily and uh, Glenn came out because we were working on some stuff together. And uh, uh, they got to see the theater before we'd even opened it. And, and I knew, like, I could see it. Like, okay, I think. I think we may have done something right here because I could see it in his eyes like he was going to be back. And he's been back like three or four times. And, I, you know, I'd, I'd let him live here if he wanted to. <laughs> I think Penn and Teller ended up in your video game, didn't, didn't they? In yeah, Borderlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole video game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Borderlands, too. Yeah. They became pain and terror in uh, Borderlands 3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, 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 it's been awesome, too, because, like, they're, you know, they're great. Also, uh, Teller did another character 
uh, a character named Marston, which is creepy as fuck, and tell her you, he's it's a speaking role, uh, yeah. but voice acting, and he's he's so good, and, you know. And and Penn is just godlike, right? So they they killed it. But what's it, that's another fun thing too, like using the video game stuff to also introduce my audience to magicians and to variety arts. And I remember Rudy. Um, it was the launch party, I think, of Borderlands Two. Yeah, you to come out. And do do uh, do some sets in the middle of the and that, that was crazy. We had three thousand people in this basically rave environment, and and you know Rudy had the he brought out the big baby head people and he had the, you know, Terminator in full effect, and he's doing you know he's doing of course legs and some of his stuff, uh, but it was it was a party and and like there's no I don't know of another magician in the world that could have pulled that off like you did Rudy and it was oh, thank it was, you that was that an was incredible best, night best nights ever yeah it was like. <laughs> but it's one of those weird, weird shows, which like, because we brought the normal show that they hire us for, but then I bring my baby head go-go dancers, and then we just do stuff <laughs> in, in between, like I had done at Raves, you know? Yeah. But uh, no, Randy was very kind. Randy and his wife, Christy, invited me um, down for when, when COVID happened. Um, he, they invited us down for quarantine in March, and... And I was like, are you sure? And they said, you didn't offer. So it was like, I came down April 1st, and then we convinced Nick DeFott to come down. Um, <laughs> so, so it's like my, I, I, you know, I feel bad saying it, but I, all the time I find myself saying, I love quarantine. <laughs> but, um, but you can, you know, I mean, and he talks about, you know, the, you know, the theater being made for me. It's funny how, I, I just realized last week that I was maybe getting a little too comfortable in there because it, just, it was a complete mess, you know. Oh, it was, you know, if you can imagine what Lab Man's lab looks like, it was Lab <laughs> Man's lab all over the theater. It was amazing. Like Kmart blew up, you know. You know this, like building stuff, you know, and just yeah. working with with stuff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun, you know, because because um, Randy has an incredible library. He has. You know, Randy buys every cool trick in the world. So even though I, I would say the last, whatever, 20 years, I'm not so much going, I'll go into the dealer's room, but I'm not buying everything. I don't know everything that comes out, but Randy does, you know, and, you know, and he also, you know, he has antique cool stuff, but also just every cool trick that comes out, Randy has one of, you know, so it's just, and then Nick DeFott is an encyclopedic knowledge of sleight of hand, comedy, everything. And just, you know, and they're just fun to hang out with, you know? So it's like my quarantine, my quarantine is the best thing ever, you know? I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's, it's just, uh, it could not have been, um, you know, I mean, it's a bummer for all obvious reasons, but it's like, I'm quarantined with my best friends, you know? I mean, Randy and Nick are literally my best friends and, uh -huh. and yeah, I mean, they're, they're the most fun people I know. And, yeah. and, and, yeah, and and there he is. <laughs> you can come on in. Yeah, <laughs> busy on on the computer. <laughs> yeah. and it's fun to you know we're just sort of discovering because we did we did a show for Randy normally does a show for um, E3 at the big electronics the, the thing I was talking about Brookledge well we couldn't do it this year but we did an online version so this is back in June. And so we did an online version. It was, and we put it together, Nick and I hosted, but it was like Puddles the Clown, Michael Carbonero, um, you know, Eric Chen from China and, you know, all these, you know, tape face, you know, and it's just funny is, um, you know, it was, it was like doing a, it was like doing a TV special, producing a TV special, but we're doing it off our laptops. It's amazing. Those interstitial bits that you guys 
worked out were just some of the best bits of comedy I'd ever seen. Oh. And they were just like, you almost, you almost, you guys were just cranking it out, like throwaway stuff. It was fucking hilarious. So, yeah. So no, and we're working on a, another thing, you know, you'll see it soon, you know, but it's just, um, you know, having a, I, I mean, I, I can't even compare. It's like the, the Magic Castle, I try to explain what the Magic Castle used to be. Magic Castle used to feel, it's fantastic, but it used to really be a club. You know what I mean? I used to go to a comedy magic club and work out the stuff for one week and then go to the Magic Castle and premiere stuff, you know? And, you know, the Peacock is definitely that, you know, now the Magic Castle is corporate and, you know, it's you know, it's fantastic. Um, but, you know, we really, it, it feels like a clubhouse environment, you know, that we wake up and we're just creative, you know, and, and Randy has this beautiful theater with sound and lights and screen and, you know, so, um, yeah, it's the best thing ever. Are you jealous yet, people? Because <laughs> I, I think I can speak for the audience. I'm reading the comments, but uh, yes. Christy will take applications. We have, I think, one more free room. <laughs> even, there's a couple people we've been working on. Yeah. <laughs> It's so yeah. funny is, and um, by the way, Randy's being very cool. I was actually, I was actually worried because tonight, after I, I told you I would do this, we're actually doing a secret project. So I'm, I'm at um, Gearbox, Randy's company. We're filming a special secret project. So wait a second, Randy, you're also at Gearbox. What is that? Right. That's right. <laughs> yes, he's he's right yeah, there. Nick, you want to come with me? <laughs> Let's go see if we can find. Uh... <laughs> this is the, this is the uh, no the Christopher Nolan version. Yeah, yeah. We Nick's gonna walk backwards. <laughs> right, I gotta get this. Reception of surprises. We're interrupting a very busy, <laughs> a very important video. That's why I'm dressed like this. And it's and actually, <laughs> like we, we got a photo shoot going on here, and uh, some huge set pieces. <laughs> Oh yeah! <laughs> yeah, there you're good. That's awesome. It's amazing. Oh, oh, oh. Oh. Let's, see, let's see if we can find. I need like Beastie Boys music playing in the background. It feels like a like lead movie here, right here. I need some Puppet Boy. That, I have that on. Uh, I have that ready to go. It's so. It's so. And you know what? Randy has good internet, so we could do that. Oh, maybe not. somebody should mute. We're gonna we're gonna start, we're gonna start echoing. Yeah, I think we're almost there. This is incredible. This is a first. Yeah, <laughs> we have a surprise guest and a featured guest reuniting. There we go. <laughs> Perfectly full circle. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> Are you guys picking me up on the other mic? Yeah, no, it's perfect. You guys are definitely close enough. Well, Randy and Nick, thank you guys so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> stay safe, stay well. Hopefully I'll get to see you guys in Texas sometime soon. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. yeah, for sure, guys. I mean, you're going to... As soon as the peacock no longer has to be dark when it's all safe, uh, you and your friends can be invited. We can, we can, we can, you, you can help us curate a special show, Harrison. I would, I would love that. We can call it Harrison Book That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Thanks so much. I uh, really, really appreciate it. Make sure you follow Randy. Uh, he's at Duval Magic. And also make sure you subscribe to Genie Magazine. It's the yeah. number one magic magazine in the country because yeah. it is the only magic magazine in the country. So make okay. sure you support it and keep it alive. They have great people on the cover. Um, uh, like, like Nick, Nick's been on the cover, yeah. on the cover. Um, so make sure you check out those, those issues. Those are fantastic. Thank you so much for joining Randy Pitchford, everybody. Randy. And Rudy, before we go, uh, sure. the final thing that I do in every episode, uh, there, this is sponsored and presented by the IBM and there's a lot of students who are watching. Uh, do you have any advice for them, uh, as they, uh, work on their career? Um, for the kids, you mean for the yeah, for, yeah. And people just starting. Of people just starting, you know what? It's like um, it's funny because I and I'm, I don't sell them, so it's like the, these lecture notes I, I wrote. Basically, I was doing a magic event, and I had three days. I was doing this big lecture, my first lecture ever. So three days while the convention was going on, I um, was writing this. I was like, "What is the advice I would give someone?" Like if it was the nine-year-old me, and and it you know the, the biggest one was. Um, the three minute idea, you know what I mean? Come up with, don't, cause then you could focus on something, come up with a three minute and it could be close up. It can be, and cause if you come up with a great three minute act, you can travel the world tomorrow. And it's funny, even then people, I've had people argue, oh, that's not true. Maybe that was true back then. It's even more true now. I mean, because people become famous with 90 seconds, you know? I mean, Kevin James on America's Got Talent, you know, did the, the operation once and it changed his whole life, you know? So I, I don't think 90 seconds is enough, like the, to get booked live, um, but like a three minute act, you know what I mean? You travel the world tomorrow. And, um, and just my other advice is read everything, you know, like really, really do kid shows, do stand up, do, you know, illusions. I mean, read the stars of magic. Don't just look at videos, you know, like really read the stars of magic and the classics and all that stuff, because you need to understand the, you've got photos I've never seen. You've got, Monte <laughs> Carlo. that's amazing. That's Monte Carlo. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you show, you know, the, you know, I, I never had to grow up. I've done, I discovered magic when I was nine years old and I've never had to grow up and it's, it, it rewards um, it rewards itself, you, you know, your life just, but, you know, but show it the respect it deserves, you know, and um, it's easier to be original. It really is. I mean, it's not easy to be original, but to me, rather than learning Yuho Jin's act or Lance Burton's act, those acts are really hard. And then once you learn them, so there's already, they're already out there. They've been booked everywhere. You know, you coming up with a three minute original act, you know, the, the world is your oyster. And um, so that's that's really my advice is to, you know, and um, and give credit, study everyone, be nice, you know, that's it, you know. I mean, I, that, that perfectly sums up everything. Rudy, thank you so, so much for joining me. I, I, I know you, you mentioned your heroes, P.B. Herman and Adam West. You were definitely and are definitely one of mine. So uh, oh, thank I can't you so much. being part of this, man. It, it means no. so much and it's. Uh, if the eight or nine-year-old Harrison knew he'd be talking to Rudy, uh, he would lose his mind and probably break every screen door he could find. That's right. So <laughs> thank, thank you so much, much, man. Hopefully, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Take care. Rudy Kobe, everybody. Oh, my God. Make sure you follow Rudy Kobe at Rudy Kobe on Twitter and Instagram. Dan Garrett was our first surprise guest. DanGarrettMagic.com. Kevin James, the amazing Kevin James, KJ Magic. 
Magic.com. And uh, you got Randy Pitchford at Duval Magic, D-U-V-A-L, and Genie Magazine. Make sure you go to Genie Magazine. There's an online version. There's a print version. Absolutely subscribe. And of course, this show is presented by the International Brotherhood of Magicians. So make sure you go to magician.org slash join the IBM slash join and you can join or renew your membership. And this show is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Next week is a doozy. Oh my God, I can give you a hint as to who the guest is. He was a surprise guest recently. So uh, man, next Wednesday, make sure you tune in, make sure you mark your calendar. It's gonna be a big one. Uh, this show is available as a podcast. Go to whobooksthat.com to download. Please leave a review. We really, really appreciate it. And as always, you can follow me at Harrison Comedy on Twitter and on Instagram. This has been such a fun, fun episode of Who Books That. Thank you to everybody who's been watching. Roger Johnson says, so great to see Rudy. Uh, Dal, who's also in Texas, we love him. Oh my God, great job as always. Thank you, I appreciate that. Greg, oh my gosh, this is such an amazing uh, group of people who are tuning in. Erica Larson, huge thanks to you and a shout out, of course. Um, we had Steve in the house, also Steve Sikulski from Las Vegas. So just thank you for everybody who's been watching all around the world and making this thing happen. Thanks so much. My name is Harrison Greenbaum. This has been Who Books That? Cue the music. Who Books That? With Harrison Greenbaum. I'm seeing a theme song presented by the IBM. <laughs>